Storm Bowling Products. The Bowler's Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us today on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Bill Spigner. Bill is a USBC Gold Certified Coach. He also helped Team USA this year. And you can find out more about Bill. You can check out BillSpigner.com. Bill, it's Tim Berg and Coach K. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you and Tim. So, Bill, when you're doing your coaching and you're coaching a two-handed bowler who's just getting started and they're aspiring to be that Jason Belmonte of the world, what's one thing that you see that, that they need to work on or that you help them with to try to overcome in their game and help them improve? Well, it's, it's very much the same as the one-handers. The, except the two-handers, you automatically have revs. And you don't necessarily always have speed, but you have revs and you have a strong hand. So working with a two-hander, sometimes you have to work them backwards to a weaker release, a more controllable release, considering they're, you know, especially younger players, and I've got a lot of them in high school, and they have to learn to control the ball and be able to adjust. And, hmm. and the other way, with the one-handers, the hardest part is teaching the release. You can teach them accuracy, but they can't play the lanes as well and move with the track when it moves in because they don't have enough ball. So... It, it's kind of an opposite uh, training ground with both of them. But, uh, you know, like my high, my high school bowling team is it's crazy. We had at our top 12 kids last year, 10 were two-handers. And these were kids Holy that just man. took up bowling. Yeah, they took up bowling just messing around a lot. And they were high, we, we got some kids in that played football. We got the starting quarterback for our high school team that started bowling last year and they started baseball pitcher, the best pitcher on the team. And they both played basketball and they decided they didn't want to play basketball. They, they bowled all summer and AMF had this pass you could buy during the summer for like 30, 35 bucks. You bowl three games a day. So a lot of these guys did that and they came in and tried out for the team. And they started out with like 165, 170 by the end of the year. They were at 200 and they were becoming more accomplished players and uh and they're all two-handed because they could hook the ball and actually the two the two guys were actually one-handed no thumb and i made them two-handed right away because you, you had a lot better control with two hands than you do with no thumb the ball is a lot better balanced going to the line and to the release than it is with no thumb so it's uh and then other kids watch these kids have a little success and they segue over into bowling with two hands too so it becomes a a snowball effect with the youth. And these kids, these kids mostly are bowling for fun. It's not like they're trying out for Team USA. So, but uh, basically, you know, it's, it's teaching control is the hardest part of all and understanding their feelings, which again is like the regular bowler too. Now, what do you think, I mean, about, you know, we've got two-handed technique, but it really, I, I, when I start thinking about, you, you talked about the excessive, you know, revolutions, easy to hook the ball, e- easy to rev the ball up. My mind almost goes back to, you know, Mike Miller back, uh, you know, when he won in the early 90s on tour. It, but it didn't seem like his style or technique, at least at that time, really caught on like two-handed bowling did. What, what do you think the difference was there? 
uh, it's hard to say. Well, you know, Mike was a, a journeyman pro. Uh, he, he wasn't, he, he make the finals once in a while on a cash. He hit the pocket and makes pairs. He had no ball. So, but he had great form. And so mm-hmm. when he went to no thumb, he had great form. So he had control over his, his body movements and he already had established his great form. So all of a sudden you get more area and he had the consistency of having developed his game as a one hander, being a stroker and a control player. And he transitioned over and had great control with no thumb. And I don't, I don't know why it didn't transition over at the time, but, uh, you know, he won here and there and, uh, and, Bowling no thumb is a lot harder than bowling two-handed. So you just don't have the balance of the ball during the approach, and maybe that's one of the reasons. But, you know, it's uh, in the last 10, 15 years, we watch a lot of people in just recreational bowling that know nothing about bowling that authority with no thumb. They'll take a 10-pound ball, an 8-pound ball, an older kid, and just put their fingers in and palm and hook it. And I don't know how that came about because they don't have the – uh, they don't watch TV and see this stuff going on. They just do it. Kind of, kind of interesting. Bill, I'd love to get your perspective with Junior Gold wrapping up uh, not too long ago. What your thoughts are on that event? And by all accounts, it was another successful tournament, ran very well. But um, let's talk about that because we're talking about two-handed players and how they're, you're coaching all these kids that are two-handed players, yet when you tune in, there you see more of the traditional one-handed style of delivery. If you're looking at you know what is... You know, like you see the traditional bowlers bowl versus the two-handers. Even though there's a lot of two-handers out there, and there's some good ones on tour, and the best bowler in the world is Jason Belmonte, but then you go from there, and then there's quite a mix. And there's some good two-handers with Anthony Simonson, Yester Svensson, you know, and they have, they have things they can do. But in the junior level, the kids that bowl the best more often are one-handed because they can play the lanes a lot better because you have to play so many different angles and you have to be able to change your rev rate and your speed and and your angle so much. And the two-handers just can't do that. And until you get to a much higher skill level like a Belmonte and Anthony Simonson, they they could do things that a lot of kids can't do. Mm. So at the, at the age group, you watch the girls, you don't see any two-handers, and they're all solid shot makers, and, uh, and even the boys. So this year was a little more dominant on the left side, but there's a lot of guys out there on the right side that are really good. And it's just control. You can control the angles better. You get a little track burned in. You can line up on the oil line, the mid lane, and the front end better than you can with two-handers. Two-handers just can't keep the ball in play as easy in that kind of format, and that length of format. Now we've talked about, you know, Jason Belmonte. Everybody knows he's from Australia, but but he's not the only uh, high-level talented player from, you know, outside of the U.S. We've seen a lot of success lately on the international scene at the World Championship level, um, and also PWBA Tour. Uh, I've seen a lot of the bowlers who make the telecast are not from the U.S. A lot of the winners uh, of the titles even have been as well. What what do you attribute that to, and what do you think about the talent level? Uh, you know, bowlers as athletes all around the globe? They have a lot more support uh, for their teams, like the Asian teams and for Team USA stuff. And uh, it used to be the Europeans were the dominant force in the, the world bowling, and now it's turned to the Asians. Uh, they are much more dominant in the Team USA stuff and world championships in that respect. Uh, 
they get subsidized. They they had they, they work together as a team all year long, and so they're much better prepared to bowl as a team. And our team USA teams are very well prepared to bowl, but they're not bowling as a team. And you know the men's and women's teams they're both predominantly professional bowlers that go. So their bread and butter is bowling tournaments to make money, and Team USA doesn't make money. But the bowlers that bowl the tournaments, they're just over the moon when they win a medal. I mean, they, they, they are so mm-hmm. pumped. But it's a little different animal when you have a team that's training together all the time. And, uh, and you know, Rod Roth, Team USA coach, head coach, he knows these other countries, and he says they're, they're just getting better, and these, they're like, Taiwan or whatever, or Singapore, they're our competition. We have to beat these people, but they're no cakewalk. They just get tougher. And this year, the, the Taiwan spinners at the, 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 the um, South Point at the World Championship, yes. Taiwan, the all events. Mm-hmm. And he's a Taiwan spinner. And who's to say that's not really the right way to bowl? You take the lane out of play. There's no oil to help you do anything. And they use deflection better than we use it because they can use a lighter ball and use the ball hits more pins in, in, in the front row of pins. Like if you get a spinner and they hit the head pin going away a little bit, they may hit the one, two, four, seven with the ball and the one takes out the three, the, the two takes out the five, the four takes out the eight and it has that domino effect. So their carry is much different. And it's hard for us to understand that that's a very acceptable way to bowl and, and they did tremendous there. So it's still, still lots of different styles and we always highlight the two-handers now but if you think about it in that tournament the lane conditions allowed everybody to play up to their truest ability so that was that was pretty good in a very tough lane condition so you take the lane out of play and the straight line for the head pin is if you had the head pin at the right angle and very this guy made it easier to do with how we did it than, than our guys did and I, I was fortunate enough to be there for game one, the spinner in, in the, the in, in particular, the one that won the medal uh, in, in the all events shot 300 in game one of the singles came right out of the gate. And it was, a, it was a demanding condition. Um, and I think, you know, when you're looking at different styles and different ways of bowling, I mean, last time Bill, I saw you, I think was at the hall of fame induction uh, in Reno and uh, Tim Mack was inducted under the, the pioneer category. And he was, you know, really one of the first people uh, that went around and traveled the globe bowling international uh, competitions uh, for a living there when he started back in, in 1995 doing that. And um, you're absolutely right. I think there's definitely more than, more than one way to skin a cat, and there's more than, there's more than one way to bowl. Yeah, it, it shows all the time. Like the Masters this year, you did so well at it. And uh, Alex, 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 right, first storm. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. two years in a row and pure strokers yeah. with heavy roll on the ball and you could play the lane. I mean, you can, you can move all over the lane real easy. You can you line up to a straight of seven, eight, nine, you can swing the fourth arrow and it, mm-hmm. you can do it. And you know, a lot of times I really super high rev players, they, they get in trouble as time goes on. And that term was a good example that, you know, the normal mm-hmm. bowlers are still there. You know, you had that mm-hmm. really good role. And uh, so I, I think the game has evolved to the point where whatever you do, if you're good enough doing it, you can you can compete at any level, you know, in the long run. You know, short run, sometimes it doesn't work out. But, uh, 
It's it's kind of, it's interesting. It's it's an interesting study. I've never studied the, the Taiwan spinners, mm. but uh, I think that's what I'm going to end up doing with my with the way I'm going with my shoulder and my back. I'm going to have to do that. They use a 12 pound ball to bowl in the future. <laughs> and shooting 300 from you know from time to time, that might be. We might all be converting yeah. to to, to <laughs> 11 and 12 pounders, yeah. Bill. <laughs> hey, Bill. Final question I have for you. Everyone catches your your. Uh, pro approach that you do in the bowlers journal where you you go through and you pretty much you, you dissect a, a player's game a, a pro a pwba a pba stars game or a top level amateur player you go through and dissect their game has there been any one of those and i know a ton of research goes into those from looking at their game and seeing how it's progressed over the years is there any one or maybe a few that maybe stick out to you to say wow this person really put in a lot of work to get where they are obviously all these guys that are professionals whether they're on team usa pba our PWBA, they've put their time in on their game, but is there any couple that you just think from where they were from point A to point B to where they are now, it's just been an, an amazing journey? Uh, well, it's hard, it's hard to answer. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I lived in their shoes, and you guys have too, and you know how hard it is to get better. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the game, the better you get, the harder it is to get better and to stay there for a long period of time. Is always very difficult. Uh, yeah, I kind of like the, I like the, the young people today that they get such good training in college and the great college programs, the Nebraska's and Wichita's and Weber's and Robert Morris's. And, you know, they're developing so many good young talented bowlers. And then then you have the old school guard that it, it, worked their way forever. Kelly Kulik's a good example. It, and I've had the good fortune of being around her the last couple of years at Team USA, and she works her butt off, and she's always trying to get better. You know, she knows how how it is to be at the top, and you know, as you get older, you fall back a little bit. But I I expect to see her back in the winner's circle, and uh, I think she's one I admire uh, her, her intestinal fortitude to work really hard and not quit. Uh, the guy side. You just look at the, you know, like the Walter Ray Williams, uh, yeah, you look at the senior tour now, you look at guys like Bob Learn, you look like Norm Duke, and, and guys like that that just keep evolving and, and, and getting better all the time, and they just get put more and more tools in their bags that they can use and know how to use them and when to use them. So, Well, and uh, a, guy like, a guy like Michael Hoggin Jr., who is is coming out and, and more than likely, you know, going to could be the player of the year this year on the on the PBA 50 tour. Yeah, yeah, he actually got enough points. He just he posted on Facebook yesterday. He, he, he that finish wrapped up bowl of the year because it's a point thing. It's not a it's a voting thing. And and yes, you know, my wife said she thinks he's going to be bowl of the year this year before the season started because he had a good year mm-hmm. last year and he's just uh, and, he, and he's active. If you look at him, he hasn't hooked the ball a lot. And, you know, everybody's enamored on hooking the, hooking the ball a lot. And ultimately, to play on tour, you, you got to set the ball straighter. And even when I went out on tour, they, you know, I hooked the ball a decent amount. And uh, guys would tell me, they said, you know, everybody comes out here hooking the ball, and after a while, they all throw it straighter. Because hmm. you're going a pair to pair, lane to lane, day to day, week to week. And you, can't, you can't control the game hooking the ball over the place. So you narrow down your perimeters, and now you have an exception like a Belmonte. He could he could do things that 
I've never seen happen in this sport in, in controlling. Mm-hmm. Flip on a switch, go straight up, and you hook the whole lane the next shot and be in total command of it. That's beyond, you know, that's, uh, that's Norm Duke on steroids. Hey, final, final question I have for you, Bill. And you just, you just, uh, you know, kind of hit on that topic there a little bit, which is we talk a lot about physical game. You know, you've been uh, one of the Boulder Journal, uh, you know, 100 top coaches for years and years. And anybody that wants to get a lesson from you, I encourage them to go to BillSpeigner.com and uh, and get you know check with you as far as getting a lesson there. But back to Jason Belmonte, and you talked about the mental aspect. Norm Duke also is known for one of the strongest mental games. What is what advice or tips do you have for somebody who wants to? Uh, get better and maybe strengthen their mental game, not just the the way that they physically throw the ball. Uh, you hit the nail on the head as far as getting better. It's you, the better you get mentally, the, the better you're going to get. And a lot of the times it's controlling your emotions. And a lot of people don't control their emotions very well. And they, they get too pumped up over too little and then then there's always a letdown so you know to me the first thing somebody's got to do is control their emotions and then they have to be able to be in a thinking process the pre-shot routine of what am I going to do where am I going to stand where am I going to look and how do I want to feel throwing the ball then the post-shot routine is not reacting that you got to strike it's 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 thinking about what happened to make the ball work the way it worked, and do I want to do that again, or do I need to make an adjustment, regardless how good you ball? And I see a lot of people when they when they're striking a lot, they lose track of what's going on, and as soon as they don't strike, they're lost. I don't see that mm-hmm. with Norm Duke or Jason Belmonte or Walter Ray Williams. They're always prepared mentally to make the next adjustment, and don't get flustered when it's not going right. Because they're looking at ways to always figure out what to do. And so the mental side of the game is always being prepared and always thinking about the future because you know you're going to have to change. And if you lose track of what you're doing every frame, you're not going to figure it out once you, once you lose it a little bit. Well, great stuff, Bill. It was a pleasure catching up with you again, and and uh, always love getting you on and, and sharing you know you sharing some of your wisdom and knowledge with the uh, listeners and everyone out there. So thanks again, and we'll catch up again down the road soon. Thanks, Steve and Tim. Uh, I appreciate it, Tim. You've been supporting me for a long time, and I always enjoy doing your show. And I just see you guys do a great job, and I always listen to everything you guys produce. It's, uh, it's really good stuff for us.